Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline Podcast. My name is Neil Grogan here with Matthew Statler. And we are back at it again, continuing on in our series on navigating chronic illness. We got some cool stuff in store for this episode today. Um, you know, Matt, I've been thinking a lot about Psalm 146 um, and the just the character of God. Uh, this 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 common um, attribute is uh, is attributed to him of of being compassionate. And in Psalm 146, the psalmist says, Hallelujah, my soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. And then he gives on to give some instruction. He says, Don't trust in nobles in a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. But happy is the one whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited, giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners, opens the eyes of the blind, raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but the frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. And what I love about this psalm of, of, of worship, right? It's a call to worship for the people of Israel. Is that he reminds us where our salvation should lay, where our hope should be. And he reminds us that God's compassionate, faithful love, um, that he always takes care of his children. And that's a beautiful picture of his mercy and his grace. And when we're talking about chronic illness, that's something something we desperately need to cling to, Matt. And, you know, I was just thinking, why don't you give us a a kind of a a rundown and overview of what we've talked about so far regarding navigating chronic illness and how we, how the God of compassion meets us in that space. Yeah. And, you know, Neil, as I was thinking about this series as well, I, I was um, reminded of the tyranny of the urgent, the tyranny of the present when it comes to, um, hearing that first, you know, diagnosis, hearing that first comment from the doctor that you have this long to live or you're going to be dealing with pain the rest of your life and uh, how overwhelmed you can feel. Mm. And so what we've what we've been doing is we started uh, with just chronic illness and, and as a general topic, um, mainly for ourselves. Right. What is our own heart? responding to when it hears these, is it trusting in God? Um, Because we're very much shaken. Why would a good God hurt us? Uh, Two of the main questions I I typically ask when I am experiencing suffering is, is God good or is God great? If he's good, why is he allowing this to happen? If he's great, um, why can't he stop it or why won't he stop it? And so uh, I need to solve those, those conundrums in my brain as I'm experiencing this suffering. Um, and then uh, the last one, the last episode we did, we talked a lot about um, helping someone else, help being a helper to someone who is experiencing uh, chronic illness or is diagnosed with chronic illness. And we thought, you know, what about our wife or our children or just a friend? And so what can we do for someone? And we talked about listening, um, listen very carefully to what their heart is saying. Um, not just the superficial words that are coming out, but actually what's going on deeper, what's the root 
of their suffering? Um, are yeah. they questioning God in his goodness and his faithfulness? Yeah. And then how can you bring God's truth to bear to help them, to actually encourage them, to shore them up as the sands of, of life are, are, are wearing out? And so we talked a lot about uh, the character of God. We looked at some different passages. Um, and, and I thought it was an encouraging time uh, as we, we thought through chronic illness. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of brings us to this third and final uh, episode on this series um, where we wanted to kind of address like, okay, so you've just received a diagnosis or this bad news or this new reality or new norm that you have to uh, engage in now. Uh, What do I do? Like, what do, what do I cling to? And I, and I, you know, sometimes it's hard to speak to that and avoid. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, who, who better to speak to it than my good friend, Steve Guess, uh, who I've known for uh, seven, eight years now. And in fact, the day I met this man, Steve, um, was the day, like two days after he learned he had four months to live. And he had like a two or three year old son at the time. And uh, yep. uh, a younger marriage and, and, you know, Steve was about to have to answer this question and navigate this right there on the ground. And we, I remember us weeping together and I had never met him before. We were praying. And really? That yeah, week? Yeah, that <laughs> week. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Pray. No, man. It, it was one of, it was one of the most um, impactful moments in my life, but just you know, just to give you guys just a picture, I, I've had the privilege of just watching Steve faithfully walk forward more, sometimes not so faithful, but mostly faithful, right? Not without failures, of course, but just watching him minister to others and and interrogate his own heart in the context of community. So I figured it'd be really good to bring someone who has an incredible amount of subject matter expertise on the issue of chronic illness. Steve, why don't you just kind of tell us, start with kind of how you came to know Christ Mm -hmm. and how that began to shape, you know, getting that news um, back in 2015. Man, how I came to know Christ. Um, I think like, uh, you know, before I go there, I have to kind of give you the context of I was a pastor's kid and grew up in church yeah, and kind of grew up with all the trappings of religion and really had like this weird crisis of me being a sinner and me understanding that I couldn't do anything about my sin, but not really uh, knowing Jesus's grace, mm. not really understanding it properly. So I didn't turn to him in that time. I like uh, ran away and kind of spiraled. And so I spent a lot of years kind of running away from God um, and not understanding who he was, namely not understanding Jesus. So yeah, there was a big period of like, uh, I'm no longer in under my parents' roof. I uh, start dating Dania. Um, we go to college and we're involved in a little college group for a small amount of time. Um then we move into another church that she was hired to sing in. Right. And all of that time, I just, I don't even know what I would have told you if you would have asked me if I knew uh, Jesus, you know, yeah. I don't know what you did, what I would have told you if you would have asked me what I believed. I probably would have said, you know, I think I believe in the God of the Bible, but I, I don't really know. I don't, yeah. you know, 
it wouldn't have been uh, uh, with any amount of conviction, right? Sure. And I guess kind of like at the center of that problem was, I thought that um, salvation, uh, that the Christian faith was about me fixing myself and fixing all the problems that I had, and specifically a sin problem that I was having with lust and then pornography. And it was just kind of, I thought that I had to clean myself up so that God would love me mm. and then come to him and say like, I'm fixed here. I'm right. You know? So it was strangely the cart before the horse, <laughs> yeah. you know? So like uh, what actually happened, we started coming to grace Bible church and I think we liked the music and you know, <laughs> yeah. like, we looked them up on the website. Uh, we started going there. We went to a couple of like prosperity gospel churches before that. And even though I wasn't, a Jesus lover or following him, I still had this sense of like, that feels strange that, that, that something's weird about that. Right. Yeah. But even though I was indifferent in my own heart. Um, so he led me to GBC mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, we started, uh, we went to this, uh, marriage class that was for veterans who had returned home from war. And we didn't know that. We just thought that it was a more general, uh, marriage class called reunite. And let home, let me probably, pause. probably should have, you know, un, should have in hindsight understood what was going on. Let, let me pause there. You know, Steve and Daniel have no military background whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> so full civilian, man. <laughs> yeah. We go to the, so we go to this reunite class, not really understanding what it is. Um, and we met some of our best friends on earth, Jim and Diane Wilson, um, uh, who's been a mentor and a small group leader to me and, and just kind of a, a ear and a shoulder and a friend. So he's a great friend of mine. We're going to his small group. And uh, uh, man, I just misunderstood the gospel. And he was patient with me. The The thing that I can kind of point to in hindsight, like I think I can explain it better now yeah. than I could have then. But it was like I was around these people who were like honestly living the Christian walk and who really genuinely loved Jesus and who confessed their sins to each other instead of like a thin facade trying to hide. And I just started to feel like I was half alive, Mm. you know, I'm in there and I can't even hardly uh, identify what it is. It's this weird gnawing sense that like I'm only half alive and indeed I was, Yeah, you know, so, uh, yeah, I admitted to him that, I had this problem with pornography. That was just this cloud hiding over me. I've been hiding it from my wife for years. Uh, and we were like, we were like four years into our marriage at this point, got married in East Texas and moved here Yeah, and she didn't know anything about it. I'd gotten so good at hiding it. And, uh, so I got convicted during like a worship uh, at our church, not particularly because of something somebody said or a song we were singing or whatever. It was just like, uh, just like, I just felt exposed. Yeah. Totally exposed. So I kneel down and I cry at the back of GBC. I still know the spot, you know, <laughs> I should have marked it, spray painted it. <laughs> on exactly where it was. Good little, uh, uh, reminder. Well, anyway, yeah, I tell, Dania's worried about me because I wasn't much of a crier then. I'm like a big baby now. I cried to drop the hat. <laughs> Hormones. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, but she was, you know, worried 
yeah. you know, didn't understand what was going on. So this weight feels like it's lifted off of me in some ways, right? Like I've been exposed, not because I was caught, um, but I had, I knew that I had, there was nothing I could do. I just knew that I was exposed and I was outed. Um, and it was just, geez, it was the Holy Spirit. Right. You know? I, I go out in the parking lot and I tell Dania uh, that I'd been addicted to porn. Um, and she was just completely devastated. And she didn't talk to me for weeks. <laughs> like we barely said words to each other, barely looked at each other. And she was so angry at me. And before the long period of not talking to each other, you know, she looks at me and she goes like, what am I not, not good enough for you? Am I not enough for you? And, uh, man, it still hurts. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, God, his outing of me, his exposing of my sin was actually his mercy and his goodness and his grace. And Dania, uh, helped me. You know, she prayed for me and she fought with me and changed a whole lot of things in our life. And, yeah. you know, namely exposure to technology and that sort of thing. And uh, God restored what I think I probably would have broken mm. and, and ruined it had I been given enough time. Yeah. Yeah. And then you met a man named Frank Leeson. Yeah. Yeah. We So during this, we're like going, there's a missionary trip that's going on. And some people who we know from our church are going to Germany. And basically, they'd been going over there, putting on a, a English day camp, like a one-week camp for German kids uh, through, I can't remember the name. Uh, I'm losing my mind. Anyway. Nav, nav, uh, cadence? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, my buddy Frank's going to kill me if he hears uh, that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, like they presented the gospel to him. Um, uh, earn the right to be heard. Yeah. Help me. Come on. I can't. Ah, well, uh, we I wasn't there. there. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's putty these days, but we're over there and we're, uh, you know, playing with these kids, hanging out with these kids, getting to know them. And Frank, uh, and we're speaking English the entire time. Frank shares the gospel in German for a 30 minute club. Mm -hmm. And then we go afterwards and we could talk to them through a translator. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like this English immersion camp. Okay. And then there's all these German kids who are from this, uh, pretty, uh, a school for a lot of smart kids. Yeah. So they're all smarter than us. <laughs> and they, they all think that we're crazy because we believe in God. We yeah. believe in a, a deity. Right. Um, so <laughs> we're going through the course of the week and, um, we're like having one of those meetings at the end of the day. Okay. During the day, there was, uh, this moment where this, uh, pastor from another church in Dallas, uh, he was telling the kids don't have premarital sex. And for Germans in their context, it was like, but what if you're, what if you're dating? Right. But what if you're in love? You know, that was something that was maybe more accessible, uh, maybe more acceptable in their culture. Right. So yeah. they're, they're kind of just looking at us like we're a little bit nuts. And uh, uh, so he's like, no, no, here it is here. It's in the Bible. We're going to read this together. So afterwards, we're having like this after meeting, like, you know, those meetings that you have at the end of the day. How would we do? Yeah. What are we doing tomorrow? Kind of thing. 
so Frank had heard about what happened and uh, are talking about premarital sex. And his caution was, uh, you know, I'm, that's God's truth and that's his standard for marriage and that's his best for these kids. What I want to make sure we're not doing is giving them one more rule to follow without giving them the power to follow it, without giving them the gospel. Yeah. And I still like, remember, it's like I'm a fly on the wall watching myself and I'm like nodding my head like, yeah, okay. And then he is like transitioning into something else. Like I'm, we're done talking about this. We're going to talk about something else. And his transition statement, I'll never forget. He said, uh, not having premarital sex isn't going to save any of these kids' souls. Jesus is going to save them. Mm. Then he, Jesus, transitioned to the next thing. Yeah. And he moves on to whatever he talked about next. I don't remember that. My head just exploded. <laughs> it, even, it even, like, when I tell people this, it sounds silly to me. <laughs> like you it know, clicked. <laughs> dude, I had, yeah. Now, now I can look at it and understand that, like, I had eyes to see, but I didn't see. Yeah. You know, I had a uh, heart of stone, and he, he supernaturally um, saved me. Yeah, it was just this crazy thing. So we some some guy gives us the Roman Romans Road scriptures, and we go back to our little East German schoolroom, and we're sleeping on the floor, and we had flashlights, and I'm like opening my Bible and reading the Romans Road, mm. and like trying to parse. Well, what percentage of this is what my responsibility, and what percentage of this is God? You know, is this like fifty fifty? Yeah, or what? What is it? Right. <laughs> You know, and and the conclusion you came to was it's God alone, who, grace all the way up. That's right. Down, you know, yeah. yeah. And so that was what twenty thirteen. Earlier than that, so around twelve. Earlier than that, I think it was like twenty ten. Okay, Something so like that. so twenty ten, twenty eleven, that window there, and then yep, four years later, your world turns upside down. Mm-hmm. So tell us, you know, I know just to kind of push the ball some for the sake of time, I know you were having some physical problems. You were sick all the time while you're at work. You're working at a bank at the time yep. and you couldn't figure out why. Why am I so sick? And yeah. your job's like um, <laughs> in conflict, right? Because you keep yeah. having to miss work. And yeah, and, I, uh, I had this new boss. Yeah. And I was the only dude working at this bank in Colleen. And man, she did not like me. And I don't, I don't know what all it was, but it probably didn't help that I was having to call in sick at a place that didn't have enough staff to run, you know? So it was just immediate conflict. Yeah. And we had a, yeah, we had this uh, moment where I was like falling behind in my sales for the first time ever. And I, she, she was asking us to do some dishonest things mm-hmm. and now I'm a Christian with a conscience used to, I had some kind of morality from my childhood <laughs> and some kind of a, you know, moral compass, I guess. Yeah. And now like there are things that I would do before that I will no longer could no longer do in good conscience. Right. Right. She's asking us to do this thing. That's not uh moral. I was mm-hmm. telling Noah this story today. <laughs> right. And, and I, I went and I told uh, Jim, my boss, who's mad at me, my new boss, who's mad at me, and I don't exactly know all the reasons why, 
and I am getting sick and she, she, she just doesn't want me there. That's the sense that I'm getting Jim. Yeah. And I told him like, she's telling me to do this dishonest thing. And if I don't do it, I'm not going to hit my quota. And Jim Wilson, uh, we're sitting in his office in his house, you know, his office yeah. in there. And he looks at me and he goes, well, this is really about whether or not you trust God or not. Isn't it Steve? And he walked out of the office. <laughs> 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 just drop the bomb cold dudes yeah and and from you know like i had to like sit there and, and the the directness is exactly what i think i needed yeah right like this is really about whether or not i trust god so i didn't hit my quota um she she wrote me up um she was very angry at me and wanted me to leave and i was right she, i didn't i didn't hit my quota it yeah. was gonna cause me this uh irreparable rift right you know what god provided and yeah. we, i moved to a different bank branch i worked out there i didn't lose my insurance which i desperately needed yeah because what happened i got diagnosed with uh cancer um stage 3b melanoma initially so melanoma is a skin cancer right showed up on my arm and they cut it off and they biopsied it um not your arm, but the not the whole the arm. No, <laughs> I do not have a prosthetic arm, but yeah. I don't get that because I wear this little sleeve. And, uh, yeah, uh, they they biopsied a little piece of my arm, and they said, you know what, we got good margins. We don't even think that it's cancerous. Uh, we think that it's this uh, other type of skin disease. She told me about a celebrity who has these spots on his face, and uh, so anyway, we leave. Um, I get the call that no, it is indeed melanoma. So it's the, the most aggressive type of skin cancer. And dude, it was like, every time we had a surgery, it was, it was like, okay, this is what we think it is. We think it's good. We think we've gotten good margins. We don't think that it's spread to your lymph nodes. Yeah. And then it would be the worst case scenario each time. Yeah. You know? So it was always like, oh, it was the worst possible news that we could be getting. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And so 2015, they tell you, you have four months to live. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been on uh, a clinical trial uh, that was successful, at least for a period of holding back the cancer. So I think I had uh, three tumors at the beginning or four, four, four tumor sites at the beginning. They, they cut out a bunch of lymph nodes in my arm pit mm -hmm. and I got on this experimental cancer treatment, which was a really good thing because before that there was no good treatment option for melanoma. Right. Um, so I got on this treatment. Um, I ended it and I had no cancer in my system that was showing up on a PET scan. Yeah. Right. Uh, pretty soon after that, when I had gotten off of that experimental drug, uh, I got sick again. Mm. I was getting sick. I'm going to UT Southwestern up in right. Dallas, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this big commute and that's a hard commute to make when you're in bad shape. So I'm like trying to talk to my doctors remotely and he's like, man, it couldn't be, uh, the fevers that you're having couldn't be cancer fevers because it's just been too soon. Uh, those symptoms are too severe for it to be cancer recurrence. Turns out we got some blood tests done and it was cancer recurrence. Mm -hmm. um, so I got restaged 
at that point in time. And I had 21 tumors, uh, mm-hmm. all over my spine, mostly mm-hmm. and my spine and my neck and my back and my hip and shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like at the bank working. I don't know how I worked through that first year of chemo. Yeah. It's terrible. Wow. Had a headache that never went away, but I, I, I was working at the bank and I couldn't lift my arm. I remember needing to get in the cabinet and I couldn't get in, lift my arm. So I'm like reaching over and doing all this crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. My arm would start working again after 30 minutes. So it was this weird, crazy thing where I knew something was bad wrong. They scanned me. I've got cancer all over the place. Um, my doctor sends Dania out of the room, some like pre-programmed play <laughs> that he has with the nurse, right? So he says something to her and she gets Dania out of the room and he tells me to get my stuff together. Mm. I'm cleaning that up for the airwaves, but he tells me to go get my stuff together because um, he didn't know how much longer I would have, mm. that it was really serious, that I was terminal and that he, he, he was trying to reassure me like, we're not without hope. There's this new drug that just got released. Mm. But I, if I were you in this situation, I would want to know. So he told me to go home and get my stuff together. So I went about the weird business of like going home and measuring myself to see if I could fit in a normal casket, which is stupid. If you know me, you know, yeah. <laughs> Steve, Steve's a big man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like calling the uh, funeral home and planning your funeral. So it wouldn't fall on your spouse. It was weird. It was like detached, dude. It was like I was, yeah. uh, watching myself do it from above it was kind of like clinical and emotionless yeah you know i think god just allowed me the guts to do that thing yeah it kind of reminds me of back what jim told you with your work situation right like this is really a situation about whether or not we trust god yeah and you know i i want i think it would be beneficial um to kind of tease out how you work through trusting in God with Mm. cancer, trusting in God with your your three-year-old son at the time. Yeah. When I got that diagnosis, he was three. Like what did that look like? And and how, how did you walk out that faithfulness with (laughs) others around you from that point? Golly, dude. We, uh, well, for, uh, uh, the carnal Steve, I don't, I don't know who, who did this, what part of me did this, but I bought like all these, I thought my son, if I kick it, my son isn't going to remember me. Right. He's only gonna. So I started buying all these metal die cast cars. You know, he's got like these walls of die cast cars <laughs> on the shelves. You saw them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I got mostly, like mostly red. Yeah. Ferraris, uh, uh, uh all these cars that I would never be able to afford in life. Right. But anyway, yeah, I thought I need to buy something substantial. So I started buying Lego sets and was trying to buy stuff that he would think was cooler when he was a teenager. Yeah. Cause I didn't think yeah. that I was likely going to be there. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was kind of thinking about this today, wondering what you guys were going to ask me. <laughs> And it reminded me of this story. My dad used to tell this story of this old woman who was in her 90s. She lived right across from the church we were at growing up. And my dad was having like spiritual conversations with her about things, about sin. Um, And she used to tell him like, but 
But Jim, doesn't loving Jesus take care of all that? You know? And for him, it was so simple that it was almost like, you know, confusing to him. And then it was this revolutionary reality of the Christian life where like, if you trust God and pursue God, he just like seems to work out all the details of your marriage or your parenting or your bad diagnosis or your fill in the blank with whatever life has. I don't know. You know, it's not for me. I think that, uh, my ability to navigate all that stuff and the peace that I had during that time, I just look back on it and think like that, that was supernatural. That's not a normal reaction to crazy news. I remember going to my mom's house after I had gotten the crazy diagnosis and she was like worried about me going and running out in traffic, you know, (laughs) you know, like, and I was just sitting there thinking like, I have more hope than I've ever had in my life. (laughs) And it was like, you know, a crazy diagnosis is this strange exercise of taking all of your trust and hope out of where you had it placed before and where it really shouldn't be because this life is a vapor and putting it in what is firm foundation stuff Like it's this big exercise of like taking all of your releasing all of the things that you can't really control in your life, clinging to Jesus and then him working out the details. So what does it look like? You know, what, what would you say to someone who receives a a hard diagnosis uh, and you're saying, you know, you're wanting to convey to them, cling to Christ. Well, what does that look like? What did that look like for you? How did you cling to Christ? How did I cling to Christ? Man, I think all the stuff that I had already started doing is like a practice and a devotion mm-hmm. became blood earnest, mm. you know? And I don't think it, that was anything that I had done. Yeah. It was just more the reality of your situation, you know? Right. So my prayers became a little bit different naturally. Sure. It wasn't anything that I did. And dude, the way that I interacted with the world was just kind of like fundamentally shifted because you're, it's a, it's a strange thing. Like when you get crazy news, then you're like driving home from the hospital in traffic and all these car, you know, the guy cuts you off and you th- think the weird thought of like, he doesn't know that I just got told that I'm about to kick it, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, like, and it's, that's like a weird, hard thing to reckon, I guess. Yeah. But it's also, it's incredibly important. Like the world doesn't need to stop with uh, one person's bad news. That's not, that's not the way things work. And thank God that, that it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's this strange thing. You get a bunch of attention from people because you got this uh, horrible news. Right. I remember thinking like, man, about to lose my job strife with my employee employer thinking I was going to lose my livelihood was so hard. Yeah. And, but you don't get any attention for that. Right. Um, maybe a couple of people close to, you know, that. With cancer, it's it's this uh, more public thing, and you get a lot of sympathy. And the strange thing about it is, like, sometimes it's too much sympathy 
<laughs> and then you don't tell people about what's going on and then you re- resent that they don't know what you're going through mm-hmm. and it's this strange uh i don't know i think god undoes a lot of your sinful heart during yeah. that but so you I, I loved what you said of like you were doing these things ahead of time that ended yeah. up preparing you for yeah. the moment and really the moment the the difficulty of the diagnosis was you know you were re- acutely aware of, of the present reality that you're dying Dude, yeah yeah that's and, the- but your rhythms that were put in place of following after Christ yeah just became more intensified mm-hmm. right yeah and so you know you know Matt and I we we harp on rhythms all the time like what are we doing day after day after day? Like these things matter. These are the things. These are the means of grace that God cultivates our faith, yeah. so that it stands on these days of trial and tribulation, right? Word. And so you have this moment, this this <laughs> this uh, this horribly difficult situation ahead of you, and you realize, you know what? Yeah, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. but my wife still needs me. My son yeah. still needs me. And there are a lot of people who are perishing that don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I'd like for you to talk about those people in your life that you knew were not believers. Yeah. How did you use cancer for the glory of God? Hmm. Yeah. I kind of, you know, I'm tell, I was telling you that it changes your perception of things. Yeah. And so I have like all these scriptures that I knew um, and that I like appreciated in some way, like Romans eight twenty eight. Mm-hmm. you know, God works all things together for, um, he works everything out for his children. Yeah. Right. Um, so I knew these things and it's like coffee cup scriptures are things that you had peripherally in your life. And then it's like, Oh my God, is this true? God, that you're like actually working in this? Yeah. You have purposes in this? Right. Like it's not just some kind of like capricious, arbitrary thing that you throw out onto people as a punishment. Mm. And on the other side of that, it's not something that like, you know, you set up the world and you spun it and everything went wrong after the fall and it's all outside of your control in your hand. Yeah. But like understanding like, oh, you have plan and purpose. Your hand has not been lifted from me during this time. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy thing, you know, and that like, that really helped me to trust, you know, like I look back now and I see through a book that I was reading and I was in uh, Stephen Watson's little, our little book club mm-hmm. at the, at that old dive of a restaurant. Yeah. And we're reading through this uh, study And the most, the things that stuck out to me most were what they said about suffering. Mm. This book that I'm reading, uh, uh, what stands out to me is this chapter on suffering and then everything goes wrong. Mm. And, uh, God prepared me for that. You look back and you think like, man, he's not let go of me. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh. Uh, dude, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm no, yapping so much that I almost forgot the question. That yeah. You asked me. <laughs> how did you, how did you 
interact with How did with you the, use cancer for the glory of God? I think with, uh, with unbelievers. I think uh, what it made me acutely aware of was uh, all the scriptures that talk about life being like a flicker of a candle and a grain of wheat and, 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 and mm-hmm. just here and there, Havel, you know, yeah. like life is not promised and you don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. You think right. you do, right? You plan and you don't really know what's going to happen. So I was made aware of that by means of cancer. Right. And that changed things for me. I mean, I think like I was having kind of peripheral conversations with my brother who had kind of ran away from uh, Christianity and Jesus similar to me. Yeah. And I'm having conversations with my friends. I have a friend who's a Buddhist and a friend who's like nominal Catholic family and my best friends. Right. Like there's this crazy thing that happens where you don't know how many more conversations you're going to have with your brother or your best friend or uh, uh, your family members. Yeah. So you, start to if you really do believe the gospel like the bad news that without jesus will will die apart from him and live live in hell forever and that we need him so it's this crazy thing where you have to start you had to i had to tell people it was like this weird mechanism where if i believe what i say i believe god made that so real to me where i had to tell people and you were around me some during that time it was like i was you know, I was inviting the guy from who I ship packages with over for dinner. And um, I started to like check out in the grocery store line and realized that this dude who'd been checking, checking out my groceries for months was an eternal soul, that, that he wasn't temporary, that God like created all of us with eternal souls and temporary bodies, maybe. But that the, that wasn't a temporary person. There were no temporary people who I encountered in my life. Right. And dude, it gave me this urgency. Hmm. Now that I'm like doing better, now that I'm doing as good as I am, yeah. it's a fight hmm. to have the that urgency, dude. Yeah. And I miss some of those moments where God allows you to see so clearly when you're on the edge of life and death. Yeah. Yeah, because you're given the ability to have a conversation like this. Hey, hey, I need to talk with you because I'm dying, and I need to tell you some news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I drop bombs on my friends. I, I, I look back and I think, like, man, you could never sustain that. Sure. It would, it would. But there's this weird way in which people listen to you when you just when they don't know if they have another conversation with you. Yeah. There's this provision that God gives during those times mm-hmm. where people listen to you in a different way. Even even my friends and family, they listened to me in a special, unique, different way that the Holy Spirit allowed, different right. than they do now. Matt, you got any uh, words or questions you want to run by old Steve? Yeah, Steve, man, I just appreciate your honesty. Um, your, your saying, like, listen, like... I bought all these things for my son. I had plans to, you know, in case I'm gone, he's going to remember me. Um, And so what you're talking about is not unicorn and rainbows, right? Like this is a hard thing that you went through. Um, But out of it, I I saw so much fruit, right? You said the scripture became much more precious to you. It, it, the taste of the scripture itself began to permeate your life. You had that urgency to, to share the gospel with other people. 
um, in ways that's so much harder to do now. And yeah. so the 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 shortness of life uh, impressed upon you all these things, um, and, and in many ways it's it's such a gift that that God gave you through this cancer, as as difficult and hard as it was, um, allowing you to speak the truth to your relatives, to your friends, yeah. um, and it's just it's it's just amazing to see how God uses. Um, these these hardships that we go through uh, for our good, right? And you you reference that in Romans eight twenty eight and and twenty nine about how God uses it to conform us into the image of His Son. Um, and Steve, I, I just I really appreciate your transparency there. And I had more that I was going to ask, but I, it completely slipped my mind yeah. <laughs> uh, because I just got so wrapped up in your story right. um, that I, I just lost all thoughts of yeah, like, oh, let me ask some more questions. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Matt, Steve, I think I think if if I was facing down a diagnosis and I wanted to hear from a brother you know, I would want like, what, what's one thing I can preach to myself right now? Cause I don't feel like I can, I'm holding on. What would you say to him? Hmm. Man, I heard this pastor who had a cancer diagnosis, serious, crazy brain cancer diagnosis. Um, he was doing this interview and he, he was kind of like grabbing from the story of the three dudes in the furnace. Mm -hmm. And they're talking to the king who's about to sentence them to this horrible death. And they, they uh, uh, say, our God can save us. And we believe that he will, O king. But even if he doesn't. So I think um, even though it's like there are hard things about it, you hate the idea of like not being able to be there for your family. Sure. But dude, there was this future hope that sustained me through crazy stuff, you know? And I think it helped keep my focus. It was just like God allowed me to taste some of that, mm. some of eternity with him. And he sustained me through it all, mm. you know? And I think like, it's weird when you, when this happens to you, you hear all these people um, who are friends of yours and neighbors of yours and acquaintances, and they come out of the woodwork and they're like, here, you need these essential oils. This is gonna, <laughs> you need to, you don't need to do chemotherapy. <laughs> what you actually need to do is, uh, uh, you know, take crazy amounts of vitamin C and these are like good friends of mine who loved me and were well-meaning. And right. it's this fascinating thing where you get, this weird insight into what people believe about life and death. And dude, that that's what it was for me. Like, uh, I think I just clung to future hope. Mm. I began to love the scripture that said, um, for the joy that set that before set before me, me that set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross. the cross and despised the shame. Mm. Like this idea that, the joy of future hope sustained Jesus when he went through the worst sin ever committed and the worst pain probably ever felt by a human. Right. Right. Um, I'm, I'm reading those moments in the Bible about Job and like God didn't even tell him what was going to happen. 
or how it was going to end or how he was going to use it for his glory and for Job's good. Right. Like I, before, before cancer, I used to like the Job story always perplexed me because, uh, why is he so harsh with Job? Everything's yeah. been taken from this man. Why does he show up and say like, where were you when, when I, I formed, when I formed, when I, when I like blue stars out, out into the expanse and, <laughs> and created the oceans and the biggest animals that dwell in it. And he gives this tirade of, you know, and on the other side of it, I think like, well, what would have comforted Job? What would have been, what would it have been like, you know, I'm so sorry, Job. I forgot about you here. I'm coming to help this situation. Yeah. You know, like the Trinity talking amongst themselves and they dropped the ball with Job. <laughs> That's not what he does. He like shows up and goes like, I am God. Look at me. Mm. Look at me. I'm God. Could you do anything that I've done? And for me, like that story, I'm reading it and I'm like, what else could he have told Job? Yeah. Like the comfort of like, I control everything. And I know the end from the beginning Mm. and I'm, I'm your father and I love you. Mm. It was loving that he did that to Job. Mm. And, for me, like knowing that God's sovereign over all things, including cells that go crazy inside of my body and everything that happens after that. Uh, but ultimately that all of the pain that I might endure here is really just like a knee scratch. Yeah. And then eternity forever. Right. You know, like what will we think about the crazy pain? I had some, some terrible years in there where there's physical pain and mental hardship and, Dude, all that's going to be like a knee scratch one day. Yeah. You know, and everything will be fixed. Mm. And that gives you perspective that you, that you maybe, maybe you knew about it, but yeah, <laughs> it makes real this, this reality of uh, a fallen world that will one day be redeemed by God. Mm. What a good word, my friend. You know, just to recap, you know, when you're facing down, um, difficulties that you can't make sense of and you don't know how it's going to work out, but you know you're in pain and you know it's hard. For the joy that's set before you, pursue Jesus, for he pursued the cross on your behalf. Um, there's an enduring hope, friends, that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and the reality is this. If we were to preach one thing and we were to need one thing, it's, it's that we need a big God. And I believe the Bible, the God of the Bible is a big sovereign God and nothing surprises him. Like you said, Steve, and he formed the foundation of the world and he put his breath of life into your body. And so you can trust him um, because he loves you and he sees the 10th, 12th, 20 order effects ahead of this Mm -hmm. one momentary cell moving (laughs) up. over here into the <laughs> and or, or over there yeah. you know and it's done for the sake of his name and it's done for the good of his children yeah and so we can we can cling fast to those hopes but we still need the community of believers around us well what a gift that, of the church that we can walk with one another yeah. even with crazy sister job who uh gives essential oils and all sorts of stuff um dude that dude, still is such a grace i need to interrupt your smooth ending uh-huh and thank you for being that for me dude um, you were there when i walked through some crazy times and 
you reminded me that um, with my wife and my marriage that I need to like rehearse it and talk back through how we met mm-hmm. and how we fell in love and all of the things that happened leading up to that and after that and the beautiful family that we created. You showed me the necessity for that. And you showed me the necessity to like, look back at my testimony Mm. and like regularly come back and see how God has been so good and faithful to me. Mm. Even like preparing for this driving right before I drove over here, reading my testimony, just he's been so good Mm. to me. And you kind of showed me the need to continue to go back to that. Well, Mm. and it's a good, rich well. It's a big well. <laughs> now I get to go home and hold a baby for the rest of the day. Well, man, thanks for coming on today. Um, guys, that's all we have for today. We thank you for listening. Thanks again, Steve, for coming. Um, that is this episode. Neil, Matt, and Steve, we out. <laughs> Love you, brother. Bye, y'all. Thank you. Thank you.